Netcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. Bandwidth for Security Now is provided by AOL Radio at AOL.com slash podcasting. This is Security Now with Steve Gibson. Episode 97 for June 21st, 2007. Operation Bot Roast. Security Now is brought to you by Astaro, makers of the Astaro Security Gateway. On the web at www.astaro.com. And by Nerds on Site. Looking to grow your IT service business? Find out how Nerds on Site can help. Visit IWantToBeANerd.com. Time for Security Now, everybody's favorite security podcast. Are there any others? Featuring... The great security guru, my personal friend and hero, the man, the myth, the legend, Steve Gibson. How are you today? <laughs> the myth. The yes, myth. I'm the a figment of everyone's imagination. <laughs> Actually, you know, from the from the email that we received, there, I know that there are other security podcasts. Uh, in fact, there's, there's one that was. Yes, exactly. But I, you know, I do hear people saying that. This one stands alone from the others. And I've, actually, I've been driven to be a little bit curious about what they have meant by that. And so I've, I've listened to some of the other ones, and, I, you know, they're different than ours. They're different. In, That's it. Yeah, exactly. like they're different. And so, you know, to each his own. And, I'm, and I'm, it doesn't hurt. You can listen to as many as you want. I mean, uh, you know, uh, CNET does a security podcast. Um, you know, uh, I have a friend actually in town who does a security podcast. So there, there's, you know, everybody needs to get as much information about this as they can. How many gigs do you have free? <laughs> Nowadays, we'll, we'll fill it up. Plenty. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about, in just a bit, we're going to talk about uh, an FBI uh, operation that just recently came to light and some amazing statistics. Yep. Wednesday before last, the FBI broke the news of of what they called Operation Bot Roast. And an uncharacteristically is, sense, uh, humorous uh, thing. Yeah, it's good. I'm impressed. You don't think of the FBI as, as being jokesters. Operation Bot Roast. All right, we'll talk about that in just a second. We wanted to thank and welcome back, in a way, Nerds on Site. I, I prematurely dismissed them <laughs> on the last episode. I thought that their, uh, that their uh, contract was running out. In fact, it was. But they are so happy to be part of this show, and we're so happy to have them that we've... Uh, We've agreed to continue on uh, for some time to come. I think through I guess September. that means that we must have a big supply of nerds that are listening and and you think <laughs> you know feeding feeding into that that federated model they have, which I think is very cool. It's a, it's a you know it's a good match. That's all I can say. I mean, yes, absolutely. We reach the audience they're trying to reach, and uh, we love them. They're doing something that we think needs to be done. So it's a great it's a great match. Nerds on site is continuing to grow. They need more nerds. <laughs> We want more nerds in all areas, PC you and Mac. Never have enough nerds. You can never have enough nerds. Uh, if you're into Cisco and Oracle, they need you. If you're a fix-it technician, a website designer, a programmer, a project manager, they need you. They need salespeople. They need trainers, security experts, antivirus gurus, and more. They they really love the folks, the real, the true nerds like you and me who like to troubleshoot, tear apart, and rebuild their own systems in their spare time. The exactly the kind of people who listen to security now. So the idea is you're an independent contractor, you're in business for yourself, but, and this is key, you're not by yourself. You focus on what you love, 
not on the burdens of running a business. That's why I love this idea. It's a great model. Nerds on Site operates all around the world in Canada, U.S., Mexico, England, Australia, South Africa, Bolivia. Anywhere you can hear this podcast, you probably could find a nerd or two. And they also have a University of Nerdology where you can hone your skills. If you're a nerd, you love working with people, go to www.iwanttobeanerd.com and register for a nerds-only meeting in your area today. I want to be a nerd. Dot com nerds on site. Thanks so much for your support uh, of security. Now they really make this uh, possible. Do we have any addendum errata that we want to cover before we uh, um, go to the subject at hand? We do indeed. There was uh, an errata that I picked up uh, from uh, Justin Alcorn. He write and he's in Cleveland Heights. He writes during episode ninety six Q and A. You answered a question about SPF. Uh, and of course, I remember that um, he said everything you said about SPF records was correct, except you didn't answer his question. Oh, he had the opposite problem. His problem was that his ISP was dropping email to him because his ISP had implemented an SPF check on incoming mail. Oh, any anyone now you may remember that this was a guy whose brother was had like created a family domain right. and his brother's server was simply redirecting the email from it to the ISP. Um, I'm yeah, surprised. See, I, I, I think I twisted it around because my problem is the opposite. Yeah. And I was gonna say, I'm surprised I got that wrong, but you know, cause I, I'm pretty clear on what the problem was, but anyway, uh, uh, Justin goes on and says, uh, so the ISP implemented a check on incoming mail. Anyone who has sent an email to his forwarder that had an SPF record was dropped because the DNS record told the ISP that it was spoofed, which, of course, exactly is what SPF is for. So Justin says there so are two he, he wasn't losing all his mail, just some mail. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, Wouldn't this be something we would all have happen to us? Because, uh, for instance, I have my mail sent to leo at leoville.com, but it's not arriving at leo at leoville.com. It arrives at FastMail. Well, so, in fact, through a forwarder. This, yes, forwarders are the sort of the Achilles heel of, well, that's not really the right expression, but the, the forwarders represent a serious problem for SPF. Because right. the, the, what SPF sort of relies on is that this old notion of mail forwarding where you could just send your mail towards your destination if for example if you if if the if the actual server that was supposed to receive it was busy or offline you could go to a backup mx server as it's called and and put the mail there and then that backup mx server would 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 forward it on to the destination and and like do, do retries and so forth so the the whole idea with spf is it's a way of authenticating the originating email server to the destination which implies no middlemen but middlemen have always been part of the 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 way smtp the simple mail transfer protocol worked right so so forwarding which is what is going on here is is a problem so anyway uh, to get to justin's point he says either have the isp whitelist the email forwarding service and he says, "Parents not likely, or have his brother implement a sender rewriting scheme (SRS), which will change the envelope from address to a domain that is allowed to send from that server." And so, 
So essentially, this is the way SPF can be altered to be forwarding friendly, although it may be actually doing more than his brother is able to do. Right. The idea being that his his brother's server would receive email, and and then rather than just sort of blindly bouncing it onward to the ISP where you have a problem, that the uh, essentially the brother's server would rewrite the envelope to to set it as the apparent source, which would then have a matching domain, and presumably that his brother's server would also have an SPF record that said, we are the authorized originator of the following mail. Right. So, you know, I mean, so there are ways around this. I, I, uh, I just wanted to clarify that, um, you know, for the record. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know why I'm not having the problem because I do the same thing. So I guess just not and not everybody pays attention to this stuff. Well, I mean that's exactly what's still happening is if you for example if a if a recipient of email who has SPF technology has it active for example, they'll query the originating server's DNS records to attempt to get a list of IPs or machines that are valid originators of mail from that domain. If that sender has no SPF record, which is still very much the case, then most ISPs will say, oh, well, you know, we, don't, we didn't get any information one way or the other, so we'll allow it. So, but if there is a DNS record, it either matches the incoming mail or doesn't. If it matches, then you have a high degree of confidence that this mail is not spam and valid if it doesn't match you have a high degree of confidence that it is valid that is invalid and should probably be just dumped into the spam folder right right right, right. you know so but but there is that middle ground which is no dns record no spf support at the originating end in which case most isps will say well okay we don't no, either way, so we'd better let it through rather than just drop it summarily. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, any other mail? Uh, well, I do, we have I a mailbag thing we do now. Uh, yeah, I, I want to try to get more of our listeners' comments and things, and I've got actually a couple for next week uh, queued up, but I didn't want to do any more because I had sort of a, a, a longish, okay. but really sort of interesting spinwright story to, to share with our listeners. This is from a guy named Harry Lidenfeld, uh, and he says, Steve, let me start by saying I've been a big fan of Security Now with you and Leo since episode one. Up until this past week, I've never had a need for spinwright since I've listened to you and Leo about backing up. So, so Harry's, you know, into, you know, making backups, which, you know, we always say, and it is the case that, you know, that's really your first and best line of defense. And he says, I work at a courthouse here and inherited the security card access server and system for the courthouse from the county. Their solution to backup was CDs on a CD writer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the database has over 500 people in it, and so this is like secure access control right. stuff for, right. the, for the courthouse. Their database has over 500 people in it, and the number of CDs required were getting out of hand. <laughs> like thousands, I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, and didn't make any sense. Right. We had a computer crash about two years ago, and I gave the county the backup CDs. 
they were unable to restore the database, saying that some of the CDs were corrupt. So we had to manually re-enter the complete database, oh boy. which took days of painstaking work. Hey, at least they I, had it. They could do it. Well, yes. He said, I promised. They, probably, they must have a hard copy if right. they're having to, to, to hand enter it. Right. He says, I promised that would never happen again. So I purchased Norton Ghost and another hard drive and ran Ghost. Then I would do just weekly backups of data files. Lo and behold, the main hard drive failed, and I rebooted the system off the ghosted hard drive and was up and running in minutes. Okay, two days later, that hard drive started to have issues, and I had not yet purchased another hard drive as the county still wants to use their CDs. Uh-huh. I, w- I was in fear of losing everything, so I purchased Spinrite, he says, friends, for myself, because the county wouldn't buy it, Psh. close friends, and, uh, uh, and immediately started it in level two mode. That was at 10 a.m., and it ran for just over four hours, and by 3 p.m. that same day, I booted the system back up, and everything was back to normal. But here's the best part. The original hard drive that had failed and wouldn't boot up any longer, after running Spinrite, it booted up normally (laughs) and faster than ever before. He fixed that one, too. And he says, Spinrite to the rescue once again. (laughs) He says, I have once again ghosted the main hard drive and also have a second ghosted hard drive off-site in a secure storage just in case. Thanks again, Steve, for all your hard work. You've saved me days, possibly weeks of data recovery. We might, says, we might mention, by the way, that we don't recommend Spinrite as a backup solution. You should still back up, but it's certainly nice oh, to have in your toolkit. Exactly. Well, I mean, here, here's a perfect example of some guy who was doing everything right. He was backing up to a second hard disk. He was, he was you know, making a, a full image of the drive and doing it every couple of weeks, being as you know, conscientious as he could. But the drive he was relying upon as his, essentially as his, as his sort of his offline mirror it f- began to fail wow so you know and what was cool was that he ran spin right on that before it had died right and then but probably fix the old one which is yeah mostly out of curiosity he right. then ran since, since he had spin right now he ran it on the one that had completely gone belly up and spin right brought it back to life all that data entry for nothing yeah oh. very that maybe that's why they didn't want to pay for it they didn't want to know <laughs> they didn't want to find out well, that's a nice success story. That's well, I great. thought that was yeah. a really neat, interesting story. So, are you ready to talk about bots? Well, what we learned last week it was uh, it was Wednesday before last, so eight days ago. The FBI made some real news with their announcement of several things. They had arrested three what they're calling bot herders. I mean, I, I have to say these press releases from the FBI are unlike their typical press releases. They first formally called this oper- that, what, like an ongoing project that they have that they really had not talked about before, Operation Bot Roast. And, and, and they are in, in their press releases, they talk about these bot herders. Um, they have arrested a guy named James Brewer, from Arlington, Texas, uh, Jason Michael Downey in uh, Covington, Kentucky, and Robert Allen Soloway from Seattle, Washington. Um, it turns out that 
they're now saying that as the FBI is saying that they have confirmed at least a million consumer PCs are infected with bots of one sort or another. Yeah, although, I mean, this even this is a low number compared with other estimates, like Vince Cerf's estimate that it's 160 million. My so, goodness. A, a, a million, but a million's a lot. Well, yes, um, there are, there are uh, three major gangs of some sort that are now actually having turf wars over the bots. Oh, interesting. Because they get paid by spammers based on how many bots they're controlling. Right. And, and of course, those who have the most bots get more money. So, so essentially, it's like, you know, here's these hundreds of millions of innocent PCs, Windows PCs. As far as I know, all the bots, that certainly all that I've come in, uh, come in contact with and have heard about are Windows-based bots. And, and so they're like... Um, raw material for these gangs to now have turf wars over and they're what they're in fact doing now is deliberately targeting each other's bots and stealing already infected computers from each other wow literally fighting over these wow. things so Isn't that amazing so what what's interesting is of course i don't know whether our listeners know that i got directly involved in this myself when on Friday, May 4th, 2001, so a little over six years ago, I was sitting here working on a Friday evening, and GRC dropped off the net. We just just disappeared off the Internet. And I had, I had known theoretically about bot attacks and denial of a service attacks and, and all that, but had never experienced one myself of course those those days are fond memories when i you know had still had my dos innocence um grc lost that maybe uh, maybe you should spade. explain what all of this is what a dos is uh what a botnet is uh i mean we've talked about it before but just for those who are just tuning in well certainly um i think all of our listeners will understand that a dos dos is an acronym standing for denial of service what it what it typically means in this day and age, which actually is somewhat different than what it meant 15 years ago or 10 years ago, today it's a uh, essentially a flood of of internet traffic aimed at one or more, but uh, only a few targets, and there are so many computers on the internet now. Which are many of them are on twenty four seven. You know they're 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 always available, or they, they 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 come and go. But at any given time, many machines are obviously on the net at one time. What happens is that those are used to to send a high volume of traffic. Each one sending pretty much as much as it's able to, which which coming from all directions around the globe, focus their traffic to. Some site, an, an internet web server, or in some cases an individual, or in some cases we've even had attacks against the the main DNS servers that that hold the internet together. Essentially, you know, attacks on the internet itself. The 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 FBI in their statement in their advisory they said because 
of their widely distributed capabilities, it says the government considers botnets now to be a growing threat to national security, the national information infrastructure, and the U.S. economy. Well, that makes sense because of how botnets are used. Well, and so so to to, to finish on this sort of um, explanation, what happens is one way or another, people get themselves infected. Now, obviously, infections are not news for anyone on, you know, really anyone today with a PC on the Internet. There is spyware, there's malware, there's viruses, there, there's all kinds of different, you know, malware of various sorts that you can get injected or loaded or invited one way or another on your machine. One class of this bad stuff are called bots. What makes a bot special is that it is a it's a piece of code which is which arranges to run very much like a Trojan. It it's arranges to run in your machine to survive attempts at removal, I've got a friend. In fact, in fact, you met him, um, Bob, uh, who's up right. in Vancouver, uh, who does sort of IT work for for various companies. He got really fascinated by one particular um, Trojan of some sort, which got into one of the companies that, that that he does consulting for. Someone, some employee, you know, brought it in on his laptop from outside, and this thing immediately spread throughout the company. And you know, Bob has been doing this stuff for about twenty years now. He's he's close to as good as you can come, and he just, I mean, this thing's been driving him nuts because he cannot get rid of it. Yeah, it. You know, he like he's gone through the directories. He's he's the kind of guy who knows what every file in Windows do, is for. I mean, he knows that at that level of detail much more than I've ever bothered to. And this thing on one machine, he it just keeps coming back it's because I mean, the, the, and that's really the evolution we've seen over the last five years. And you've talked about this, Leo. How it used to be that it was possible to remove spyware. And now spyware has gotten so so pernicious and, and 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 so crafty at hanging on in a system that you all often just have to you know roll back to a restore point that you hope was not infected or restore from an image at a time that you had no infection. It's, pre- just, it's pretty there's hopeless. No it's, other, yeah, yeah. So so anyway, what happens is what makes a bot a bot is it lodges itself in your system virtually irremovably and arranges somehow to enlist itself for to receive commands the the most popular still to this day means for doing so is that the bot will join into an IRC chat channel a hidden private password protected chat room where all the bots of a given bot herder, to use the term, which is now becoming common. <laughs> I like that. It's very descriptive. It, I mean, it's, it's perfectly descriptive. They'll, they'll all convene. Now, I want to point people to this, this document that I created after I rolled up my sleeves six years ago because it, I, what I ended up doing was essentially reverse engineering a bot that someone provided and figuring out what it was doing 
then I created my own pseudo bot to emulate the protocol this bot was using. I got, you know, the IRC RFCs, the, right. the, the specs for the way IRC works, which I'd never looked at before. And I quickly wrote a bunch of my own sort of benign bots to join in the party as if mine was, was a legitimate one that, that had been infected a computer. That allowed me then to watch what was going on and, and learn about what was happening. And essentially, I, I, w- I ended up being able to infiltrate this network and, uh, and uh, ended up having some conversations with some of these, these bot herders oh, about, about yeah. what they were doing. And I've got all the transcripts. I've got, I, I show a, a, a screen of all these bots checking in. This particular one was called Evil Bot, and they literally they logged into the chat room and saluted and said, "Evil Bot three two nine six reporting for <laughs> r- reporting for duty," and and so you could literally. I mean, I, I was actually watching the screen scroll as these bots were 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 coming and going as the as the users of the computers that had unwittingly been infected as they turned their machines on and off. These bots came and went, and at any time, in this case, there were only a few hundred. The, the, the frightening thing is that these networks have now grown to tens of thousands and, in some cases, hundreds of thousands of machines. So you have all these machines all logging into a chat room. Well, then the bot herder himself or herself logs in to the chat room and issues commands which will be seen as chat operates by everybody logged in. And so literally, this person issues commands saying, okay, everybody, go attack a certain domain name or go attack a certain IP, or here's where you go to pick up a list of spam addresses, and I want you to send all start sending spam. So it's a, it's essentially, it's centralized control of a worldwide massively distributed network of slave computers which can be used for many purposes it used to be they were only used for attacking because the, the, this thing all grew out of script kiddies you know so, sort of junior hackers home from school in the afternoon blasting each other off the network trying to obtain control of IRC chat rooms and so they, they were using their own IRC chat mechanisms, which they had developed bots for, to attack each other. Because if you, if you um, I can't remember the term now for the person who's running an IRC server. The or, mod or the uh, moderator or the... Uh, it's the equivalent op, of a the moderator. Channel op, the channel op. Channel op. That's yeah. exactly it, yes. And so if the channel op goes offline, then somebody else has the opportunity to, to, to come in and take over. So they were literally blasting each other offline in order to sort of, cap- to sort of play capture the flag of, of these, these chat rooms. And as a channel op, then you have the ability to kick other users offline. And so, I mean, it, was, it sort of started off being... Benign. You know, Horseplay yeah. yeah. among teenagers. Unfortunately, even then, this was all illegal because they were using other people's machines, remote controlling them in order to do their their dirty work for right. them. So, right. what's happened is it's evolved now into huge spam bot networks, 
they are able to, because they're command driven, they're able to launch denial of service attacks. And now they're renting out their DOS services to to third parties who want, for example, gambling sites, competitive, someone who's, who's a competitor of a gambling site will hire a botnet service to blast the competitor off the net at a critical time during a horse race or a, or a, a boxing match or something. And I mean, this is what's going on all the time. So what I'm really glad for is that the FBI has, first of all, it's taken them, frankly, years to get themselves up to speed and organized, but they clearly are now organized and and are pursuing these guys. So, for example, this this James Brewer in Arlington, what got the FBI's attention was that his bots infected a uh, a number of Chicago area hospitals, and so critical PCs running you know, intensive care software were being brought down and their bandwidths saturated, which they needed by this guy's bots. You know, and as soon as you start messing up hospital systems, the you know, that raises red flags at the FBI. And and so the FBI doubtless did something very much like what I did was, you know, once they had their forensics guys up to speed and understanding how to deal with this, they they sequestered one of these bots, grabbed it, and probably deliberately infected a um, a honeypot machine of their own, and then watched this thing connect into Bot Herder Central, wherever that was, and and then began the process of backtracking the the individual who was communicating with the bots. And of course, th- th- essentially that's the weakness of the system. This, the IRC chat system is used to obviously to create a layer of insulation between the bot herder and his bots to, to hopefully keep him from being easily findable. But, but the people who run these bots, they don't know whose computers they're commandeering. Certainly this James Brewer guy didn't know that a number of his bots were causing serious problems for Chicago area hospitals. We could hope that he has enough morality to, you know, not have done that deliberately. And in fact, the way these machines get infected, you know, is just by visiting websites, by by people opening malicious email, you know, all the standard means for for infecting computers can be employed for distributing bots. And so the point is that the bot herders have no idea whose computers they've commandeered. And what's happening now that the FBI considers this a serious threat to national security is the FBI doubtless has lots of honeypots that they are deliberately infecting with these bots or allowing to become infected. And then they're starting the process of backtracking the communications back to the bot herder. And, you know, this is no, this is not funny, fun and games anymore. This is, this is serious business now. Um, And it is, you know, the problem of course is that there's substantial economic benefit now to the bot herders. It used to be that it was, you know, teenagers blasting each other off the net to play capture the flag. Now it's, I will sell you my network to use, 
for launching, you know, in fact, one of these guys, I think it was, it was this uh, Robert Ann Soloway in Seattle, tens of millions of pieces of spam wow. sent from his network. It's amazing. Really, it's really amazing. Uh, you know, I've seen these bot networks at work too, and it's uh, what's uh, interesting is how quickly they fill up. As you mentioned, they, they it's an instant boom, boom, boom. Every second, another computer is co-opted and joins the net. Well, and in fact, I remember when I was really involved in this. I am really no more now. I mean, it's 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 evolved to a whole different plateau. But I was in, I got involved as I said six years ago, early in the game, and I participated in in a passively just listening to dialogues among the these these bot herders because i ended up tracking them down following them around um, you know you would see someone refer to oh let's go over here and they didn't know that i was already there listening so i'd follow them over there and and i remember that listening to them talk about putting out a new bot like in the evening and coming back the next day after school and they had they they you know exactly i mean they were they they were in high school or you know or junior high you know they 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 get home from school in the afternoon and that new bot would already have three thousand hosts yeah 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 that's why a million is so is the fbi did they have are they using any specialized tools to track these botnets down how are they going about this have they talked about that at all they're no they're being closed-mouthed about it because of course they don't want anything that they're doing to to be defeated by you know by by talking too much about it and is as is always the case there isn't a there isn't a single universal solution because for example in the case of these gangs the, um, who are fighting each other they're creating different bots and essentially anti-bot bots um, and they're spitting out like twenty new ones a day. So, so the, the so the actual the actual bots themselves are evolving at a very fast pace. Ultimately, though, the Achilles heel, you know, to answer your question generically, the Achilles heel is that there's nothing to prevent good guys from from, from deliberately infecting their machines with bots and then backtracking. Now, you have to imagine, because Microsoft has been involved in this initiative, too, um, since, since 2004, so for the last three years. And now, of course, we've got the malicious software removal tool as part of the Windows Update um, suite of software. And I notice, you know, every second Tuesday, I'm getting an, an updated version of that. So at some point, once... Once the bots that are malicious are known, I would imagine that information finds its way to Microsoft, and then Microsoft adds the signatures for removing these things ah. to the degree that they're able. So right. there is there is a means for, for for proactively dealing with the the neutering and removal of the bots. the The problem is, and this is something that we researched extensively. Back in the, um, I think it was Code Red Worm, there is no way for the FBI to directly remove this malware, even though the FBI probably has the IP addresses of all these infected machines. The reason the FBI says a million is they've been collecting IPs. 
And so they, they know the IPs of the, of the infected machines. But as we know, that is Security Now listeners will know, just having the IP of the machine tells you little other than who the ISP is that the machine belongs to. In order to push it further, you'd have to get subpoenas from, you know, you have, you have the FBI would have to give subpoenas to the ISP, compelling the ISP to release the names and addresses of the owners of the IP at that, at that given time. The ISP may want to comply, but the terms of service gives their customers certain rights of privacy. So the ISP needs the FBI to subpoena this information from them in order to cover them legally right. against actions you know, by their customers. So it, the, the point is, all this is a moving target. It's happening quickly. The bots are changing and literally evolving. You know, uh, Users are hanging up, changing their IPs. And essentially, there's no direct way for the, I, for the, for the FBI to access those end users' computers because that's illegal even if it's the FBI doing it. Interesting. So that makes it difficult for them to uh, pursue this, I would guess. Yeah. Now, they've talked about working with CERT, um, uh, the uh, group out of Carnegie Mellon, uh, to, to somehow notify end users directly. But I noticed in one of the reports, uh, one of the, the main uh, techies at the Sands Institute that, that also covered the story um, who's been very involved um, in this work, he says, well, you know, how are they going to do that? We've been trying to notify users with, with, with their D-Shield service for years, and, you know, they've learned how ineffective that right. process is because it's not the smart users. It's not, exactly. frankly, the, the people listening to security now, not the people within range of our voices, Leo. It's, you know... It's people who really aren't paying attention to security who will glibly click on any link that comes in the email. And, you know, those are the machines that are crawling around with this stuff. You know, they're not going D to D-Shield to see if their IP is listed as is probably being right. a, a source of attacks. Well, imagine uh, their reaction if they get a letter from the FBI, an email from the FBI saying, we think you've been uh, compromised. I think we've trained most listeners well enough to go, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm going to click that link. <laughs> well, and, and see, that that's exactly the problem, too, is they're, you know, with the, armed only with the IP, there is no way you can send email to an IP. You, you can only send it, of course, ah, to point. an email address. Well, but I think and that's why, really, the first line of defense should be, once again, the Internet service providers, that, that they could tell them, look, this is these these IP addresses in your system are compromised well and that's a very good point i mean and that's that that's something where i mean that's an aspect of controversy certainly you could argue that the isp could see and will see a, an abnormal amount of outgoing traffic from specific customers if that you know if that customer did that a lot of the time over the course of of a week the ISP could reasonably assume something is wrong yeah. on, on, you know, on yeah. this customer. <coughs> the I mean, problem is that it begins to involve the ISP in, in uh, issues of quality of service, and the ISPs are super reluctant to begin to say, well, we're going to take any responsibility because when they fail to do so, then potentially that makes them liable. Right, right. 
I mean, I think that's who really, once again, I mean, with spam, with this problem, it's the ISP who really uh, needs to step up and, and who seem to be so reluctant to do so. But um, maybe someday, as, 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 the, as the, you know, these are the guys who are putting us online, and I think they have some responsibility. They know what's going on. They can tell there's uh, traffic like that going on if they wanted to monitor it. Yes, you, you absolutely could, could, could tell. Now, you might also argue that there really, there really isn't the monitoring tools available to do this. I mean, they, they see traffic going out through their router but they would need to to log it over a period of time and then classify it to see that one given source IP or a collection of source IPs is sending a high level of traffic to a collection of destination IPs. So, I mean, that, that really requires some proactive steps on, on the part of the ISP. Your, your point is exactly right, Leo, because the ISP is at the border, they are seeing all of the traffic transit their network. So they potentially have the information, but going from that to, to basically processing all of their logs for this reason really requires a next level of involvement. And, you know, they had, no one has compelled them to do so. Now, if the FBI starts rattling sabers and saying, wait a minute, the, you know, ISPs are enabling this. Oh, and I forgot to mention, the, I, the FBI is also saying the majority of these bots are in the U.S. Yes. Yes, by the way, very important. <laughs> because so we it's have not, not like they're all over in China somewhere no, no, where we, you know, yeah. we really can't get to them. They're here. And, and so you, know, you could imagine some... Congressman gets a, a a bee in his bonnet and you know floats some legislation to begin to try to increase exactly as you say, Leo, the level of responsibility that ISPs have as the people who are providing the bandwidth for their customers to the internet. What responsibility does the, the ISP have not you know to to go to take some measures to thwart this kind of activity because. That would do it. That would end this overnight. Yeah. Fascinating stuff. And as always, you've exposed us to something new and interesting, the seamy underbelly of the Internet. And uh, um, yes, yep, I, I, I was going to say that I do want to, to, to recommend our listeners uh, go over to GRC and add themselves to the already million people that have downloaded the PDF I have there that tells this story of, of me uh, learning about what this was in detail and then rolling up my sleeves and backtracking, you know, basically infiltrating several of these networks and and going about uh, solving the problem and, and learning about what was going on. I think people would really find it interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, folks, we want to thank you for uh, joining us and remind you that you can secure yourselves against these kinds of attacks. If you're in business, you want to look at the Astaro Security Gateway. Every time we talk about stuff like this, I think, you know, security, especially if you're in business, when you have a lot of users and uh, you don't really have control over what they're doing, security becomes so important, and that's where Astaro can make such a difference. The Astaro Security Gateway, now in version 7, has a number of really nice new features. Transparent email decryption and encryption at the uh, server, which makes it no, no encryption software is needed on the client side. It's all done transparently, which is great. Great for the security of your organization. Digital signatures, too, based on SMIME and OpenPGP standards. 
Uh, you can have defined user groups or individual users automatically encrypting and or signing their emails through a central system inside the gateway. Inbound email automatically decrypted. What a great way to add some real serious security to your email. Uh, and because of the nature of a UTM, both incoming and outgoing email is verified and forward through virus and content scanners before users open it. Keep those bots out of your environment. That's just one of many features. SSL VPN is new. Great scaling, including built-in clustering. So you don't you could you could actually add more security gateways up to I think I don't know what the limit is. I think as many as ten, with no need for additional load balancing or anything. What else you get? Oh, I mean, just go. The list goes on and on. Of course, you know you get the antivirus, anti-spam, two different flavors of antivirus protection, anti-spam content filtering, on and on and on. The Astaro Security Gateway, best way to protect your enterprise. Try it free. Call eight eight eight, the number four A S T A R O, eight 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 four Astaro, or you can visit them on the web at A S T A R O dot. Com home users, by the way, the Astaro Home Gateway software is absolutely free for non-commercial use, and you get all of those features, including the antivirus, anti-spam, and everything. If you've got an old beige box lying around, download it and use it. It's the best f- free way to protect yourself. A-S-T-A-R-O.com. Thanks so much for supporting Security Now. Steve Gibson is available. You can get that white paper, of course, on his experiences with DDoS attacks, but he's also got, oh, so much other great stuff there including his uh, free security software like Shields Up, Decombobulator, Shoot the Messenger, Leak Test. I saw one the other day Oh, that I'd forgotten about and I never mentioned, and it's such a cool little program. It's not a security program, but Wismo. I love, oh, yeah. I love the little Wismo. <laughs> really a great free program. Lots of good stuff there, including 16-kilobit versions of this podcast if you've got a dial-up system and, or you just want really small files, and transcripts too so you can read along. Share it with your organization if you want to improve security in your organization. This is Security Now is an advanced course in security. Almost 100 shows now. And that's grc.com. Were you about to say something? I heard you take a deep breath. (laughs) I was just going to say that it's been another great episode, and I'll look forward to talking to you next week. Good. We'll do it next week. Thank you, Steve. Security Now.